something is so comforting. When you are sad, for someone to come to you and just wrap their arms around you. It's so simple. Someone wrapping their arms around you, there's nothing profound about it, and yet there is. Just to be wrapped in someone's arms. Even, sometimes even a complete stranger who knows that you're hurting to come to you and bring you close. A lot of times it's not appropriate to say something like, everything's going to be okay. But sometimes it is. Sometimes that's exactly what's needed. Kid runs into the house, knees all scraped up, take him into the bathroom and wash off the knee, rub a little neosporin on it, blow on it, which I don't get, but that's what you're supposed to do as a parent, blow on it, put a Band-Aid on it, grab them, wrap them up in your arms, and tell him or tell her everything's going to be okay. And the reason you say that is because it is. Everything's going to be okay. It's just a scraped knee. I know it it feels awful right now, but it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. When Cole was three or four, thunder was the end of the world, just drove him crazy. It would thunder, and he would just go berserk. Ah, He would run into my arms. Didn't matter if anyone was in the house, Jen, Reese, grandparents, could have been Jesus and John himself, and he would have come and found me. Because for whatever reason, when it thundered, got to have dad. And so sometimes when it would thunder and he wouldn't be in the same room as me, I would get down on the floor and just go like this. Because I knew he was coming. Hear thunder outside. Okay, here he comes. And sure enough, run around the corner. There he is, right in my arms. Sometimes we would be sitting on the couch together and we weren't doing anything. And I would just look over at him and I'd go, thunder. And he would run into my arms. Because that's what dads do sometimes with kids. It's my kid. I do what I want. But then I would wrap him in my arms. And you know what I would tell him? Every time. Tell him everything's going to be okay. And it was. Everything was okay. World didn't end. Nothing went wrong. Everything was okay. Sometimes when it's more than that, when it's like abject sadness, when it's grief, it's not appropriate to say something like everything's okay. It's more appropriate, if you're going to say anything at all, sometimes you don't say anything at all. If you're going to say anything at all, sometimes what's more appropriate is just to say things like, I'm here. Maybe it's appropriate to say, God bless you. Or, in the case of Jesus, 
after the resurrection to his completely frightened, afraid, terrified followers, he said, peace be with you. Now, that is rooted in a tradition of God's people that goes way, way back. We're talking like hundreds of years back. You think back to Isaiah 40. The second half of Isaiah begins with a couple of words. And the second half of Isaiah could have begun any way, any way. It could have said, because it was looking at after the exile, they'd been captured, they'd been taken into exile, they had lived basically imprisoned in someone else's land as slaves for years and years, decades. And so second Isaiah, the second half of Isaiah, maybe it could have started, okay, everybody, let's go home. Could have started that way and it would have been fine. It could have started, all right, Babylon, Persia, you left over Assyrians, now it's your turn. You're going to get it in the neck, you bunch of pagans. That could have started that way, but it didn't. It didn't start that way. You know how it starts? Comfort. And then, as if saying that once wasn't enough, says it twice. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. The extended version goes like this. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her turn, that her penalty is paid and she has received from the Lord's hand double For all her sins, a voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. Uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. When they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, it it was so great, because they gave it a word that started taking on meaning us, especially as Christians who are people of God's Holy Spirit. Because you know what? The way they translated it into Greek, beginning of Isaiah 40, paraclete. Paraclete. You know what the Holy Spirit is called sometimes in the New Testament? The paraclete. The comfort. That this in our midst, what we're doing right here, sitting in the presence of God, is in the presence of comfort, the embodiment, the incarnation of comfort right here in this place. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. It's not to say everything's going to be okay. As a matter of fact, the last public thing Jesus said right before he went to the cross was, in this world you will have trouble. 
And then he says, I've overcome the world. But right before that, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't pretend like everything's going to be okay. And that's why, after the resurrection, he comes and says, just like Isaiah said to the people of God after the exile, comfort, comfort, oh, my people. And the way Jesus put it was peace be with you. Jesus went and said that to his afraid disciples because I know what they were thinking. I, I, I really am pretty confident. I know what they were thinking. You know what they were thinking? The disciples behind locked doors after Jesus died on the cross because they didn't know. They didn't know how this was all going to turn out. They were thinking, Jesus is dead. We're next. They're coming for us because they know us by face. They know some of us by name. We're next. And so Jesus shows up, not once, but twice at the end of the Gospel of John and says, just like Isaiah said, comfort, comfort, oh, my people, he says to people who think we're about to die, this is it. This is the end. We're just going to sit in this room behind this locked door until the lynch mob comes and gets us. We're about to die. And then Jesus shows up and says, Peace be with you. How's that for a turn of events? And you know what's so great is that he's still saying it. We, we have a living Jesus. He hasn't stopped saying it. God hasn't stopped creating the world, and Jesus hasn't stopped coming into rooms filled with fear-laden people. And Jesus still says to disoriented people, peace be with you. He was a dependable comforter, and he had the arms to wrap around us and say such things. I don't know, it's been like 17, 18 years. But right after we moved to Tyler, uh, one of the members of my church in Paris died in her sleep. And she was 33 years old. And her husband called me and asked me to come do the funeral. Our kids played together. We had eaten supper together. So this was not you know, typical funeral. You know, the thing about it is that when you go do a funeral like that, there's no amount of schooling or preparation that can get you ready to do that kind of funeral. I've done, by this point, hundreds of funerals. It's not an exaggeration. I mean, I, I'm a preacher, so I do exaggerate sometimes. That's not an exaggeration. 
hundreds of funerals. I moonlighted as a funeral preacher, by the way. Uh, that's another story. Ask me sometime, I'll tell you. This would have been top five as far as like hardest ones I've ever done in my ministry career. But I did my job. You know, there's a point where you just have to put on your professionalism coat, do your job, you deal with your stuff later. And I did, made it to the end, finished the funeral. And because I'd preached a bunch of funerals in this funeral home, I knew it well, and I went off to the side in this little kind of side room area. And I was just ripped to shreds. And that's when Sandy walked in. Sandy was a lady from my church. She was six feet tall. She was a patient advocate at the hospital where Reese was born. And so she had been in our room during the birth of one of our children. She and I had worked together in visiting people in the hospital. I had visited her in the hospital after her bout with breast cancer, where she almost died, but she's survived, still alive to this day. So Sandy, six feet tall, walks into the little side room, and I mean, I'm just bawling. Grabs me by the shoulders, stands me up, wraps me in her arms, and doesn't say a word. You know what she started doing? She started humming. Not a song, not that kind of humming, but the kind of humming when there is no word, there are just no words for the kind of grief that you're feeling, where you just can't even describe it. What are you feeling? You couldn't even describe it. And she just starts going, mm. Mm. And you can just feel it deep, deep down in soul, just, mm. and I've studied a little bit of Aramaic, I don't know it well, we know what words the Greek New Testament used for when Jesus walked into that room and said not once but twice the words that he said to his followers who thought they were about to die. But I think that if given the chance to hear that moment when Jesus said that, one of the ways that we might hear it those of us who are here today, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're afraid. Maybe you've got some things that you're afraid of. Jesus comes, wraps us in his arms, and just starts humming. 
And maybe, just maybe, if forced to put to words the most dependable words ever spoken that sound an awful lot like humming when someone just comes and wraps you in their arms, the words that we still need to hear today are when Jesus comes, puts us close to him, and says, Will you stand with us while we sing together?